You know what, Ben? I absolutely hate people that are on Facebook and Instagram that are fake. Do you see that often? I see it way too often. You know, it's like people are constantly on vacation or something or just living this dream fantasy life where everything's perfect and just like it's just so fake. It's so fake and it's not true and it's Facebook fake. Do you guys hate that as listeners? We do too, and that is one of the reasons why we started Threads Podcast, Life Unfiltered. We're all about three main things, faith, mental health, and uncomfortable conversations. In short, it's the stuff you don't really see on social media. Our conversations on Threads are going to be real, open, and raw. They might make you feel a little uncomfortable. And that's what Threads is all about. We choose to focus on the threads that tie humanity together. If this sounds interesting to you, you can find us on all the platforms, like everyone says, but we really want you to go to threadspodcast.com. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. And so I found myself, by the time I'm 25, I'm weighing 350 pounds, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, getting stoned from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, drinking on my lunch breaks, drinking at the night, drinking myself to sleep, cheating on my girlfriends. I got girlfriends who don't know that my girlfriends exist, right? Just fucking chaos. My guest today goes by the name of Michael Unbroken. He is the author of Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma. And he's also the host of Think Unbroken podcast. Welcome to the show, Michael. So I'm I'm Michael Unbroken. I am an author, speaker, coach, entrepreneur, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma. And this journey for me really just started when I, I recognized that I needed to put myself in a position to do this thing called becoming the hero of my own story. And so it's an honor to be here with you today. Michael, I'm so glad to have you on the show today, man. And, and man, this is going to be a great episode. I can already tell just from some of the conversation we had before we started recording and, you know, we had some technical difficulties and whatnot, but man, we're here now and uh, I'm ready to just jump in and, and hear some of your story. Yeah, a- Absolutely. For for context, why don't I why don't I give you the elevator pitch version of this? So when I was four years old, my mother, she cut off my right index finger. She was a drug addict and alcoholic. And my stepfather was hyper abusive. And I spent a lot of my childhood homeless and in deep poverty. And Brett, man, when we were so poor that one time the water company came and turned our water off. Actually, it was more than one time, but one time in specific, specifically, I remember. And, you know, I was getting into weird and dark things as a kid. I I got high for the first time when I was 12 years old, smoking weed. And then you used to be able to get over the counter, like allergy medicine. And we would just like chop these things up and snort them like the craziest stuff. And I'm like 12 years old. I got drunk for the first time when I was 13. And by the time I was 15, I was expelled from school. I got caught selling weed. Luckily, they didn't catch it on me in the moment I like threw it. So I couldn't pin it to me, but they had probable cause and I got expelled. And luckily, I got put into a last chance program, still didn't graduate high school on time. They basically looked at me and like, dude, here's your diploma. Just get the hell out of here. 
And I was trying to figure out what the solution for not only child abuse was, but for, for poverty. And it was like, man, it's gotta be money. Right. And so I made a declaration myself that by the time I was 21 years old, I was going to make a hundred thousand dollars a year legally. And this was really, really important because the legal part of it, because I'd been selling drugs. I've been breaking into houses, stealing cars and hurting people. And I have family who's in prison for life. I had friends who were getting arrested. I'd been in handcuffs a couple of times, luckily never arrested. And my three childhood best friends have been murdered all because of drugs. And I was like, all right, I can't, if I do this, if I keep going down this path, I know that I'm going to go to jail or I'm going to go to prison or I'm going to get murdered just like other people in my life. And so I made this declaration and I put myself in a position to land a job with a fortune 10 company at 21 years old, making six figures with no high school diploma and no college education. And, you know, that old adage that that money just makes your life worse. Well, that, that was very, very much the case scenario for me, because what I didn't understand about money is that it, it actually brings out the, the dark parts of you. And so I found myself by the time I'm 25, I'm weighing 350 pounds, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, getting stoned from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, drinking on my lunch breaks, drinking at the night, drinking myself to sleep, cheating on my girlfriends. I got girlfriends who don't know that my girlfriends exist, right? Just fucking chaos. And I had this moment, I was about 26 and I was laying in bed. And it was 11 o'clock in the morning. I was smoking a joint and you got to keep in mind, man, I was 350 pounds. I was eating chocolate cake and watching the CrossFit games. Like, man, if, if that's not rock bottom, I don't know what is. And, and, you, and I went into the bathroom and I was looking at myself in the mirror and I did not understand and recognize the reflection on the other side. And for whatever reason, in that moment, I asked myself, Michael, what are you willing to do? to have the life that you want to have. And the words, no excuses, just results, just like started very powerfully reverberating in my brain. And that started this journey that 11 years later has me talking to you. And in that process, there was a lot of things that happened. I got serious about therapy, group therapy, men's group therapy, trauma therapy, gestalt therapy. I was just diving into all these things. I got serious about personal development. I used to look at people in the personal development space and I would mock them. I would make fun of them. I'd be like, who do these people think they are? And then I understood something really important that these are people who had come from their own rock bottom to create massive change in their life. And I wanted that too. So I got deep into it and I started reading the books and going to the conferences and learning. And then I got serious about the education and understanding trauma and understanding abuse and addiction. And I started getting certifications. And I think today I have like, I don't know, 35, something like that. I can't even keep track because education to me becomes everything. And I, I never had the intentions of like being a coach, being a mentor, being an advocate. If you would have asked me five years ago what I'd be doing today, it certainly wouldn't be having this conversation. But I, I felt to an extent, a moral obligation to create massive change in the world, because I just don't want another kid to go through what I had to go through, you know, sit in, I used to sit in these rooms with my mom during AA meetings. And I was like a child, man. 
And then I would go to them as an adult and I'd do all these things and just be like, why am I like this? Why do I hurt myself? Why do I hurt those people around me? And the common catalyst in all of it was the abuse, was the the trauma, was all the pain I had suffered. And and in that, I, I recognized something that was really profound in my journey. And I never viewed myself as an addict. The thing that I was doing, I was hiding. I was hiding from the pain. I was hiding from the truth. I was hiding from the suffering. I was hiding through all of these traumatic experiences that I had. Because what's, what's harder than looking at the truth of acknowledging that bad things have happened to you? And so I started doing this work and I started getting serious about it. And I was writing a blog under a different name. It wasn't called Think Unbroken. And I was just like casually putting stuff out into the world that I felt was valuable that I thought, hmm, I wonder if maybe one day my brothers will read this or my sister will be or somebody I grew up will read this. And then I, I had people start reaching out to me and they're like, man, that thing you posted really impact me or I had that scenario and that happened to me too or it started to turn into that thing that you posted saved my life and then it turned into hey will you help me and I'll tell you this the the most empowering thing about stepping through the other side of whether or not it's addiction I I don't know I've never certainly felt addicted was that I get to help people I get to be a benefit to people. I get to help people understand that there's something more to life than what's been handed to them. And that's through my own journey. I had to do this myself. I had to do the work. I had to face the demons that exist within me. And I had to understand that the alcohol, the drugs, the sex, the rock and roll, like all of it for real was a mask. I was just putting this stuff into place So I didn't have to feel, and I think that's the commonality. You know, I've had the pleasure of learning under Gabramante who talks about trauma and addiction and learning and understanding like at the baseline of the reason why people are addicts is because they're hiding from something. That was my scenario. That's what I saw in my brothers. That's what I saw in my mother when we went to AA right? That's what I saw in my grandmother, seeing her drink and smoke herself to death. And that is such a normative precursor for the society that we live in. And I just feel this need, like it's, it's almost, dude, it's almost like a fucking desperation. I don't have a, I don't have a better way to phrase it. It's almost a desperation to want to end this because I just can't imagine a world where a child has to grow up the way that I did. Man, that's a very, very powerful story, man. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, you know, kind of jump into a, a slightly different thing. Um, you, you wrote a book called Think Unbroken, The Understanding of Overcoming Childhood Trauma, man. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And I'm sure that, you know, the story that you just told us about your upbringing and your childhood and, and the abuse and the drug use and all that obviously is where that book came from. But but had you planned on writing a book or did you just feel like that story was in you and you just had to share that with the world? Like, how did all that come about? Yeah. So think unbroken isn't my life story, right? It's not a memoir there. There's a preface in it that is a few pages long. Cause I think that we have to create context and it's a, it's a little bit deeper of a dive than what I just went through with you. 
And the book is the book that I felt like I needed because I, I read, dude, I read 65 books a year and I have for probably like the last 10 years. Right. And in all of these books and all of the education, I always felt like there were pieces missing. And that piece that I thought was missing was around this understanding of an immediate processing and making meaning of what you've just learned. And so Think Unbroken is part journal, part exercise, part education, part self-help, part guide. And it's a, it's really kind of, look, realistically, it's like, I don't know, 250 pages or something like that. And it could be a thousand and it still wouldn't be enough. So it's effectively just a precursor. It's a, it's a fundamental 101 entry-level syllabus of the way that I believe that you step into this healing process. And I, I had the intention of writing a book since I was a little kid. I actually, I wrote a, I wrote a book. It was really, I guess it was really more of a screenplay when I was like nine years old. It was a vampire romantic comedy. And my, my mother, so part of this is actually, I grew up Mormon and my mother found this romantic comedy about vampires that I'd written way before it's time, may I add. And, and this was coming off the back of, I, I, I had watched uh, vampire in Brooklyn with Eddie Murphy. And I was like, oh my God, like, I love this. And so I sat down, I wrote this, she found it and she tore it up. She was like, this is not like, God, you can't do this. You're, you're not allowed to have this. And part of me always knew I've been a writer since I was a little kid. I used to keep journals all the time and I don't even know why, but I just always had them. And I knew one day I was going to write a book. And for a long time, I was like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. But I never felt like I had anything to say. I never felt like I had anything to say in a way that had merit or created value for people. And so I wrote this book because I promised myself that I would. And then I wrote the second one. And then I'm writing the third book and, you know, the fourth and fifth. And I, I did start writing a memoir and it's like 50,000 words. It's, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm not going to publish a memoir, but you know, it was nice to write that and get up to basically where I'm at in my life today. And I will write more books and I'm on a mission. I'm going to, I made a goal. I'm going to write a book every single year until I die. And it's not about anything other than I just, I'm a writer. Like at, at heart, I'm not a coach. I'm not a podcaster. I'm not a public speaker. I am those things, but at, at the heart of it, I'm a, I'm a writer, man. It's what brings me value. It's been probably the most practical aspect of my healing journey. I love that, man. And and for me, I feel like I'm more of the podcaster. I've never attempted to write a book. I've never really had any interest in writing a book, man. But like, I love, I love podcasting. I love having these conversations with other people that have been through similar struggles and, and overcome those things, man. And that to me, I think there's power in hearing that other people have overcome these different struggles and challenges in their lives and, and seeing where they're, where they are today, man, just, seeing what your life has become from from where you started man and and i just applaud you for that it's 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 powerful and 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 i know it's going to help people to hear that story uh kind of going off on i guess like a, a rabbit trail you were mentioning that you grew up mormon um what what kind of role did that play in your life and honestly i'm not really all that familiar with mormonism except for um that TLC show where they go into like LDS and like people are trying to get out of that, that lifestyle. Were you in that kind of situation where you were in like the, 
like almost like a commune and you like worked in the community and and like that kind of uh that kind of mormonism <laughs> so that's a good question um first let me let me preface this uh brett i'm not special i don't know anything anyone else doesn't know that's the truth the, the difference between success and failure in life is putting in the effort is putting in the work, is showing up for yourself. And even when you don't fucking believe in yourself, doing it anyway. Because if you do it anyway, that's the most important thing. If you do it anyway, on a long enough timeline, your life will be different. And that was just the only thing that I ever thought about. Like, what can I do today to make my life different? I won't drink at lunch. I won't smoke that cigarette. I won't have McDonald's for dinner. One, and they talk about fucking one day at the, a time all the time, but I think it's one choice at a time. It's one decision at a time. That's what creates change in your life. And, you know, people often look at me and they go, well, you're, you somehow figured this out. I didn't figure it out alone. I asked for help. I leveraged people who were a step ahead of me. I asked them what they did. I got help. I did the hardest thing I think we do as human beings. And I recognized that I needed to have someone else guide me. And, and, and so I, I don't want to mislead people and think that somehow I know something that they don't because I don't, I just simply have done the work. And if you do the work, life will be different. And as for growing up Mormon, you know, it, so it wasn't like the television show. I've never seen it, so I can't speak to it. Um, but I will say this, there, there is a, a misconception to an extent um, in American society around Mormonism, whether it's polygamy or whether it's this communal thing. And there's different, for lack of a better term, like sects of, of Mormonism. Um, and so I, I grew up in an LDS church. Um, it was very, it was very odd, right? And, and what was odd to it about me, what was odd about it to me was this idea and these notions that I wasn't allowed to ever question anything. And, you know, they'd put you in these rooms as a little kid and you'd sing these songs and you'd go and read scriptures, but it, there was a lot of weirdness to it, right? One, one memory that comes to mind, I was, I was 11 and I was super sick, dude, like crazy sick, like should have been in the hospital sick. But instead of the hospital, my mother called the missionaries and the deacons of the church and they came over and they anointed me with oils and they prayed on me. And then I went in the kitchen and I called my grandmother and I said, these fucking people will not help me. Can you come and take me to the hospital? And then I spent like four days in the hospital, like crazy sick. So shit like that would happen. But there were some redeeming things that, that were a part of it. You know, so here's what's odd. Like I grew up in the hood and we would drive like fucking 30 minutes to this little town called Brownsburg, just outside of the city. And I would go and I would be a boy scout. And like, I, I learned some of these really interesting fundamental survival skills. And I learned a lot of things, but I always was questioning, you know, how could there, how could there be God? How could be, there be a spirit or universe that wants to support and protect you when I'm sitting here getting my ass kicked every day, when I'm terrified to go to sleep at night, when, when I'm stealing food to survive. And so I had my own conflicts about it. And at 12 years old, I, I decided I was done and I just refused to go to church and that would get, I would just get my ass kicked for it. And I, that, that the, the, the biggest precursor, I guess, catalyst for that was I read a scripture in the book of Mormon and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have it memorized, but it was something along the lines of 
those with the dark skin will not be allowed into the gates of heaven. And I was like, bitch, I'm biracial. What does that mean for me? And, and that was really hard. And it was really difficult to make that decision at that young of an age, knowing the ramifications that came along with it. And then seeing like all the drugs and all the alcohol that in, in Mormonism, you're not supposed to drink. You're not supposed to do drugs. You're not supposed to have caffeine. I didn't even have a Coke, I think, until I was like 13, 12 or 13, something crazy like that. You know, even our, we would have like this caffeine free root beer, right. And stuff like that. And so there's a lot of what I would call oddness to it. Um, and I found myself just looking at and questioning it and going, this doesn't align with what I believe about the world. And so, you know, there, there were some redeeming things about it, but as a whole, you know, I think that as a human race, we have to be able to be entitled to make our own choices and decisions. And it feel like that was a part of what I was able to have there. And I fought it. There was nothing worse to me than having to be in a situation where if I asked a question, the answer was just because I fucking hate that. And so, you know, going and removing myself from that at such a young age, and now looking at life from this very spiritual place, I don't know necessarily I do or do not believe in God. Um, it's just simply I try to do good things and just try to be a good person. And if I die and at the end of it, there's God of like, cool, what's up, bro? glad we finally met. And if there's not, that's fine too. Right. So I just kind of step into life from this atmosphere of do good things, be a good person, try my damnedest to make the world a better place. And I loved what you touched on there a, a little while, a few, few minutes ago, the idea of it's decision by decision instead of the idea of one day at a time. Cause I think a lot of us get in that mindset of the one day at a time and we justify a lot of our decisions of like, well, at least I didn't get high today, or at least I didn't get drunk today. And we justify that instead of like, you're talking about it being decision by decision. What decisions am I making today that are affecting my life? You know, I was talking with my sponsor um, last, last week and we were having the, a similar conversation. And, and, you know, one of the things that we, we, were, we were talking about was like the unmanageability of our lives. And I was looking at some of the, the, the habits that I still have, you know, I haven't, I haven't gotten higher drunk in almost seven years now, but there's still things in my life that are unmanageable. I'll still stay up way too late and binge a show on Netflix. When I know I have work the next morning, I'll still, uh, you know, like you were talking about, I'll, I'll run through the drive through at McDonald's and grab dinner when I could come home and make a healthy meal. There's still things that I'm doing in my life that aren't healthy and that aren't good decisions. And I can still fall into that trap of like justifying it of like, well, you know, this big Mac is better than, you know, smoking meth. And, you know, that's like my justification in doing it, but I need to look at the real issue. I need to look at, you know, these decisions. What, how do they impact my future? What is, what is that big Mac going to do? You know, if I'm doing that three nights a week, what's that going to, what's my life going to look like a month from now, a year from now, I have to take into consideration, like all these little choices and how they're going to impact my life in the long run. So I love that you brought up that point because I think that a lot of us do fall into that mindset of like, well, at least I'm not doing what I was doing instead of going, okay, but I'm still doing negative things. I need to, I need to continue to improve my life. I need to not be okay with where I am right now. I need to continue to improve. 
Yeah. Here's what I think about, man. How do I just make my life different? Because what's the measurement for better, right? People are always like, I want to make my life better. I want to make my life better. I'm like, what does that really mean? Whereas I'm just like, how do I make my life different? And I get the struggle, dude. Like I would, I would eat McDonald's. This was literally my routine. This was lit to a T my routine, wake up, smoke a cigarette, smoke a joint, go to work on the way to work. There was a Hardee's an Arby's or McDonald's. This was, was like 12 years ago. I'm working for a corporate job. Cool. I'm going to have Arby's today so I can have Hardee's for lunch and then McDonald's for dinner. And that was every day for years. And then it just became, I, I stopped trying to justify it. And when I shifted and I started making the changes in my life, I stopped trying to measure them against other things. Okay. If I, if I eat this, at least I didn't do that. And I just started saying, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to, I don't need to justify to myself why I'm not going to do it or why I am going to do it. And that's actually played huge dividends in my life, not only in my healing journey, but in everything that I do. And, and I thought about it at depth and it hit me one day. Why don't I only do the things I want to do and not do the things I don't want to do? And then don't justify it to myself or to anyone else. And, and it took off this huge weight, man. Cause like, there's a weight to it, right? There's a weight. There's a pressure that we feel, oh my God, I let myself down. I'm like, no, actually I just wanted to eat gummy bears today. So I fucking ate gummy bears and it's that simple. Right. And, and that became beneficial. And then I started looking at it. Like, I don't want to eat gummy bears today. I don't want to drink today. I don't want to do those things today. So I'm not. And, and I think that, and this is a difficult thing and people combat me on this and I understand why, but I always think about life very binary, meaning yes or no. And I ask myself this question, am I taking it easy on myself or am I taking care of myself? Because I think these are two very different things and they're not mutually exclusive. And when I started diving deep into my behaviors, and again, it's not that I don't have behavioral patterns still. It's not that I don't have things I'm always trying to make different, but I recognize, dude, you're taking it fucking easy on yourself. You're making excuses. And that's where that like no excuses, just results thing hit me so hard because Brett, dude, like the truth about life is there's always an excuse. Think about this. We, we had technical difficulties coming in. Could be like, ah, oh, we'll do it another day. Don't worry. Have a great day. See you later. And we said, no, we're going to figure it out. That's life. Every single day, there's a technical difficulty. You're making thousands and thousands and thousands of choices. And if you weigh every single one of those against trying to create justification, I just don't know how you live. I don't know how you can prosper. I don't know how you can make massive change. And it's difficult because we live in a society now that says, oh, you had a hard day. Why don't you go and take a bath and have a glass of wine and relax and watch Netflix all night where I'm like, or you could do the thing that you're driven to do because you're driven to do it. And, and that's where I think people get lost. I want to say this because I think it might be beneficial to people listening. If you reestablish your relationship with time and death, you will change the way that you act in the world. And what I mean by that is you're going to die. I could die literally right now. That's the truth. And when you understand that you're going to die and when you re like when you actually understand it, not when you hide from it, not when you try to nonchalantly move about the world and just go, oh, well, I'm just going to enjoy it, blah, blah, blah. 
when you really truly understand you are going to die, then I think it really helps you change the way that you navigate your choices because you may not get another moment to do that thing, to quit that job, to travel the country, to be a father, to build that business, to do that thing, right? But also it may be you need to quit the job. You need to walk away from the relationship. You need to quit the thing bringing pain into your life. And I think it's about building a, a, a very, very steadfast sense of mental fortitude, which is so fucking difficult, especially when you've used drugs and alcohol to numb your ability to be a human being. The hardest, dude, for real, the hardest thing about being sober for me when I first started this journey, I was like, all right, I'm just going to be stone sober. And I went cold turkey on, on weed, on alcohol, on a lot of the fucking behaviors that I had in my life. And the silence of it all was deafening. Like it was so fucking hard because for the first time I had to ask myself, what does Michael want? Mm -hmm. And when you come from this place where maybe you've been disallowed the option to even honor that in your own journey, that was my experience. I wasn't allowed to be me ever. Every time I tried to be me, there was pain, there was suffering, there was torment, there was abuse, there was getting locked in the closet or starved or getting punched in the face. And then I got this moment of like sitting with myself for the first time and being able to make choices and decisions for me. And that was super scary. Like it's so fucking scary at first. And then what happened is I realized like life is only actually predicated on what I want. And that's not selfish. I don't want people to misconstrue this. Putting yourself first is not selfish. Doing the things you want for you is not selfish because nobody else lives for you. Nobody breathes for you. Nobody loves for you. Nobody acts for you. And yet we won't do it for ourselves. And when you start doing it for yourself, when you start only doing the things that you do or do not want to do because you do or do not want to do them, then that, my dude, like, honestly, I think that's the moment in which you find peace and when you discover who you are. That was a lot, man. That's a lot of good information. I'm still over here, like, trying to process it, man. We're kind of coming towards the end of our time, and I'd, I'd love to give you the opportunity just to shout out you know, you, you mentioned you have a podcast. Uh, we kind of touched on your book briefly. Uh, just let the, the audience know, like, if they're interested in your podcast or your book or your coaching services, where are some of the places they can find those different resources? Yeah, um, check out the Think Unbroken podcast. It's on every single platform. You can go to thinkunbrokenpodcast.com. Uh, it has all my information, all my everything there. Um, that's where I put a tremendous amount of time, effort, and energy um, because that is a place that I believe that we're able to consume information in a way that's practical. Um, you know, so all, all of it's there. That's the first thing I tell people to check out. Awesome. Well, Michael, I really do appreciate you coming on today and sharing your experience with us, man. You've, you've lived an incredible life, man. And you started with, with the, the childhood trauma and man, just the way that you've, you've learned like the title of your book and your podcast, man, to, to think unbroken man to come to to build yourself up and to to learn how to make those decisions each day that get you to somewhere different man it's it's really outstanding and i really do appreciate you coming on and sharing with us 
Thank you, my friend. I, I appreciate you giving me the time and the space. It's been a pleasure. Michael, thank you again for coming on the show today, man. I really enjoyed our conversation. You gave me a lot to think about. And I think one of the biggest takeaways I got from today's episode was your idea of us going decision by decision instead of looking at life as one day at a time. So thank you for bringing that new perspective. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.